I'm so um, excited to be in this church, and I, I just want to mention, as we open the Word tonight and begin to get into Acts, as we've been doing for the last several weeks, um, I just want to mention that these guys here at North Central are having their 50th anniversary tonight right next door. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty incredible. So, and, and I, I'm just so grateful for them to have been willing to host us here so that we can have a place to continue to meet and to continue to spread the Word of God and to, and to be another Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in this area, to, to have the heart that they have to see more and more people come to know Jesus and not have any kind of sense of concern or, or uh, weird sense that sometimes churches maybe used to have of competition. That, that wasn't even a second thought to these guys. And I'm even more particularly grateful because the senior pastor here, Dan Williams, when I was a young youth pastor in 1998, I came out of Bible school and I was full of all this stuff in my head. I was so excited to have my first job. And I went to my office at, at another church over in Cicero. And it was a big new building. And it was a big youth group. And I was just out of school. And I went into the office. And I was just hired. And I sat down behind my desk. And I put my feet up on the desk. You know, you ever do that? Just kind of looked around. Then I put my feet down. And I stared at the wall. And I distinctly remember thinking this thought. I have no clue what I'm doing at all. <laughs> I have no idea what to do next. And I was able to call Dan Williams, who was a youth pastor at another Assembly of God church. And I sat down with that man, and he was like, all right, here's what you got to do. <laughs> and he walked me through how to, how to functionally be a youth pastor in the first couple years of my ministry. And, and I'm eternally grateful to him. And this is an incredible church, and I'm glad he's here. So let's do this as we open up the Word of God. Let's pray for North Central in their 50 years, that they would have another 50 years of, of incredible ministry here. And uh, let's also pray that God would speak to us through his word tonight. Amen. God, we just thank you for this place. 50 years of your word being preached. 50 years of people in Liverpool, New York, standing in this place, worshiping you every week. God, we pray that you would bless this leadership team. We pray that you would bless this church. We pray that you would bless their celebration tonight, God. You have one church, and we are so grateful that we get to be a part of it, and we ask that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out from this place for another 50 years. We ask that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed and that you would be glorified and worshipped in great measure right here on this street, on this address God, we thank you that you've provided a place for us to be and to meet and to worship you and to preach your word, to be together and to grow. And we ask that you would, again tonight, be faithful to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So here we are. We're still in Acts, and we have been spending the last, I don't know how long, going through this incredible um, really recitation from Luke on the expansion of the church from the beginning and the expansion of the word of God as right from the start it began to spread throughout the world. And that's really what Luke's doing here in the book of Acts. He's, he's giving an account and he's telling a remarkable story of the growth and expansion of the church. And 
And as he does that, he, he says many times, and so I think it's notable because he says it twice in the passages we're about to read tonight, that the church expanded and it grew. It seems to be one of the purposes for why he's writing the book of Acts is to document this growth and this expansion. And, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a good thing. Sometimes even in the church today, because maybe the pendulum has swung in the way that we talked about it or in our motives behind talking about it or the way we've talked about it, sometimes church growth or this idea of church growth has become kind of a negative in our mindset. But Luke, in, in the book of Acts, is celebrating the growth of the church and the expansion of the Word of God as it spreads. And he does that in this passage in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Let's read it together. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, who's one of the easiest names to read here. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, or a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And here it is again. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So think about that. As we look at this chapter, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, in verse 1 we see, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, and then in the last verse it says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. As we see in the last verse, even a number of the priests, many of which, thousands of them probably in number that were the lower class priests, didn't have a lot um, of money. They didn't make a lot of money. And they would have themselves um, been probably recipients of the, of, of the gifts or, or like even the distribute distributing of food and other things that, that they speak of in regards to the widows in this passage. And, and many of them, even numbers of them, came to faith. So the church was growing. The church was increasing. The word of God was spreading. And Luke is documenting it. Luke is celebrating it. And this entire passage is sandwiched with it. It's the first thing he says and it's the last thing he says in verse 1 and in verse 7. And I think it's important to note. I think it is something that we should celebrate. I think it's, it's an exciting thing. A move of God is happening. Luke is documenting the move of God. People are coming to Jesus. The word of God is spreading. And this is of such great value that a couple of hindrances come against it in this passage. And it's a very practical passage. A couple of things happen that they 
see as obstacles to the continued increase and spreading of the Word of God. And they got to deal with it. they got to deal with a couple practical issues here in this passage that I think are incredibly relevant to us today. You know, as I, as I think about this move of God that Luke is documenting in the chapter of Acts, or in, in the sixth chapter of Acts, I think of just the way the world is today and what's going on today. I think sometimes in America we think of a move of God and it seems as if that's something in days of, of old or that's something in the past. I think many times in America we see that to some degree over, over years and years of, of religion that maybe the people we interact with and the people we encounter and the people we talk to to some degree may seem to be almost inoculated, right, to the gospel almost immune to it because they've heard it so much or they've maybe heard versions of it or false versions of it or, or have an idea of what Christianity is or have an idea in their head of what they think faith is. And so they're, not, they're kind of resistant to messages that seem similar or, or to, that, that seem like something they've heard before, but they're kind of inoculated to it. And they don't want to talk about it. But the, the, the fact of the matter is today, the, the word of God is spreading like never before. The move of God, God is moving all over the world, in Asia, in India, all over the world, God is moving and his word is spreading and people are coming to Jesus and miracles of faith are happening all over the world. Isn't that amazing? The increase of the church is happening all over the world and I believe it's happening to some degree here in the United States, but as we look across the world, we see these moves of God and I think sometimes our temptation is to maybe criticize different moves of God because they don't seem perfect, right? I, I, think, I think we've said things like this in the past that, well, we need an Acts, we need an Acts move of God. As if somehow this, this move of God in the book of Acts was so much more pure than other moves of God. But if you really look honestly at the book of Acts, it wasn't perfect either. I mean, you got Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead, for goodness sake, right? I mean, people are dropping dead because of sin in their move of God. I would say that's a little messy, you got Simon the magician. You got uh, theological confusion with Apollos. You got John Mark fleeing. I mean, as you read through the book of Acts, there are issues, right? And here we have a practical issue. People in the church are complaining. How many of you guys have ever heard of that before? They dealt with the stuff we're dealing with, right? It was not this pure move of God. As the word of God spread, as, as God began to move things needed to be dealt with. And that's what happens here in the book of Acts. And I think, I know that as we look at this together, there's a couple of huge things that we need to grab onto as we take a look at this passage together. First of all, I want you to see this conflict, this first thing, this first practical obstacle um, for the word of God spreading that we find in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Look at, uh, look at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing the number, a, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here we have the Hellenists, which is the Greek-speaking Jews, and we have the Hebrews, which is the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews at this time. There's, there's a cultural and there's a language difference here, and there, there, there's some fighting. And what they're seeing is that the Greek-speaking Jews' widows are being neglected at the distribution, and someone's saying, hey, this needs to be taken care of. The Greek-speaking Jews' widows are not getting what they need. 
And so they look to the apostles and they say, hey, you need to take care of this. You guys need to deal with this issue. And, and this becomes a practical obstacle to the growth and expansion of the word of God. And you would say, why? Well, think about it for a minute. And we got the disciples, we have the apostles, the witnesses, to, to be the, the men that were with Jesus, the witnesses to the resurrection, to the ascension, the guys that, that, that God has set apart and called and anointed to go out and spread the word of God, they're doing it. They're, they're out there, they're preaching and proclaiming, and as we talked about in Solomon's porch, they're proclaiming the word of God. As you look back in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 10, if you have your Bible, turn there with me. What, what is this word of God that they're proclaiming? In Acts chapter 4, verse 10, you see, let it be known, this is Peter, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. They just healed this man. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has come, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here is Peter out there healing, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, listen, we need to keep doing this. The word of God needs to continue to be proclaimed. We need to continue to focus on our, our prayer and the proclaiming of the word of God. This is of such, such importance at this time, during this move of God, that we as the apostles, we can't take time out to take care of this other issue that is a very real issue. You notice how they address it. They don't, they don't just outright reject what they're saying. Oh, guys, we're too busy. Tough luck. Deal with it. They don't do that. They address it. But they address it in such a way that they refuse to be distracted from the proclaiming of the word of God in prayer. This practical obstacle to growth this complaint has arisen before them and they say something that's incredibly telling to us our communication of the word of god and prayer is of such importance that we're not going to stop doing that even for a second but this still needs to be dealt with so we need to get some other dudes to help right this is what they're saying we need some other people to step up who have particular characteristics that can step in and that can serve and use their giftings and do something so we can continue the communication of the word of God in prayer. Why is this such a huge threat? Why is this such a huge obstacle? Why is this such a big deal to them that they couldn't just take a moment themselves to deal with it as the people began to complain? I think there's something in this passage for us tonight that communicates the incredible importance and the significance of the word of God, the fact that it needs to be communicated, and the fact that it needs to be communicated in the right way. Do you guys hear what I'm saying tonight? I want you to look at 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy, where did I put it in my notes? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verses 17 and 18. If you could turn there with me. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 
For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it reads, I'm sorry, when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Why did I read that verse to you? There's something that Paul's saying in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He's saying, let the elder who preaches and teaches have double honor and, and pay him what he's worth because this particular person that God has called needs to spend time in the word, needs to spend time in prayer, needs to, to deal with the word of God rightly so that it's communicated in such a way that people's lives can be changed and their minds can be transformed and the word of God can spread. The apostles in similar fashion, said, listen, what we're doing, the communication of the word of God, what we witnessed, what we are aware of, what we are continuing to understand and study in a particularly special way, we need to be able to get out there and communicate it. And we got to communicate it rightly so that people continue to be healed, so that people continually be transformed, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to spread, and so the church grows. i got to tell you, I've never been more challenged in this regard than when we started Missio Church. And, and there, in the men that God put me around when we started this church has challenged me in this way like I've never been challenged in before. And l- let me say it this way. You know, as a young guy kind of coming out of Bible school, there's this idea of preaching and teaching the Word of God that's almost becomes uh, sexy or... You know, like, like you feel like it's this cool thing to do. And I remember as a young, I started preaching when I was 16 years old in youth group and, and continued to do it since I was 16 years old. And I remember moments in, in my life as a younger person thinking, I can't wait to get up in front of people and to have people hear me talk. Or I, I kind of remember listening to great speakers who I just loved and who I adored. And I would say, oh, they're so awesome. And many times I would take what they would say. And I'd be like, I got to say that too, because it sounds really cool. And I remember just kind of wanting to be this preacher and, and going through a process in my life of handling the word of God in such a way that I didn't value it in the way that the apostles are talking about in Acts chapter 6. There came a time probably later on in life after youth pastoring for a while that this began to change in me. And it never quite changed in me to the degree that it has since we started Missio Church. I got around Jordan and Bernie and Mike And I began to realize as I heard and as I was challenged to step up my game in my study of the Word of God, it was almost like there's this guy, N.T. Wright, who me and Ethan were talking about. He's saying some crazy stuff now, but there's an interesting quote that he talked about almost like the preaching of the Word could be um, in a shallow sense like looking from across the room out the window at a beautiful landscape And then a deeper study of the word of God is almost like coming close to the window and looking from very close to the window and seeing a broader picture of what the landscape looks like. Someone's very excited over there. Touchdown. And I began to see the word of God preached in such a way that I, I would sit and and i got to tell you, I've been impacted by a lot of great preachers, but the way that, that we've handled the word at Missio Church, and I don't mean to brag on us, but I'm giving a personal story of how it's changed me. 
the way I began to see the Word of God handled at our church, I began to become challenged by my own study and by my own focus. And, I, and there was a season where I took a step back and said, wait a minute, I don't know if I am putting the time and the focus into studying this for myself to such a degree that I'm, a, I'm communicating the principles of the Word of God effectively to people so that their lives are changed. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is great value in the study of the Word of God and in the men who are called to study it full-time, as it says in 1 Timothy 5. It basically says, it's so important, dudes should get into it to such a degree that you pay them the wages they're worth so they can do it full-time. That's what 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18 says. So that people can stand up and proclaim what they've learned and gathered from a close look at the window. Not sitting across the room, but getting right up to the window. Getting into the word of God rightly with the right tools and the right capability and the right ability at that point to glean such incredible things from the word of God that they communicate the right thing effectively so that people's lives are changed. The word of God spreads and the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. You hear what I'm saying? We are blessed to be around some guys that can do that in an incredible way. And I'm blessed to be around them and call them brothers and to be challenged myself to do it more and more and better and better. I got to say that I haven't always probably seen the value in this to the degree I do, even as I've studied this passage. But it is hugely important that men, and this passage reflects for us, let's just be honest, a very practical issue. And I think it's very, very important that elders have the opportunity to sit at Cafe Kubal or wherever they sit. (laughs) That was for you, Mike. That was for you. (laughs) And study the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Glean from the Word of God. Get to a place where they can communicate the word of God so effectively that the lives of people are transformed, that they walk differently, that they, that they live differently, that as Romans 12 says, their minds are transformed, their spirit is renewed, they begin to think differently. And that only comes, how do they know if they don't have a preacher? That's what the Bible says. That only comes from the, the word of God spreading and being communicated and being preached and handled rightly. The word of God needs to be handled rightly. And there's so many people out there grabbing verses and spewing whatever they feel like saying in popular culture or whatever fits into the new Oprah thing and and they're not handling the word of God rightly and we need men that can do it. Because it's the word of God as he communicates to us through his word that changes our hearts, makes us live and think and, and, and walk differently. It does something to our perspective. And it's so often that as we get away from the word of God and as we don't get into it ourselves and don't hear from people who know how to preach it, it's so often that, that our natural bent is to, to, to slowly bend away from it and to begin to think wrongly and to slowly slip back into walking with what my old youth pastor, Rachel's dad, used to say, brain damage. You just get this natural brain damage that happens to you until someone scrambles you back to the word of God and you get into the house of the Lord and your perspective gets shifted back. It's huge. 
And in this early move of God, in this early expansion of the gospel, these guys said, whoa, we don't have time for anything else. We need to value this. This is a huge deal. And so, yes, the widows need to be taken care of, but we're not going to stop doing what we're doing to, to wait tables. But here's what we need to do. We need to get some men that have a good reputation, some men that are filled with the Spirit of God, and some men that know how to do things. In other words, some men that have wisdom. And we're going to release them, lay hands on them and release them to take care of things that are also very important so that we continue to do the work in the ministry of the word and prayer. Amen? Amen. So what's the practical issue for us? There's huge need in the body of Christ, isn't there? What is God calling you to do? One of our five outcomes is, is your spiritual gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? What are you shaped to do? What is your spiritual gifts? What is your heart? What are the abilities that God has given you? What's the personality that God's developed in your life as you've, as you've grown? What are the experiences that have done things in your life that have shaped you to be a particular way? Because there is no other planet, I'm sorry, there is no other person on this planet that is exactly like you. And so how do you fit into the body of Christ and what are you called to do to serve in an effective way? Because there's a group of men that are called to handle the word of God and pray and to equip the saints to do the ministry. It's like the second reformation, right? The first reformation was getting the word of God into people's hands and so it wasn't only read by priests in Latin. And now I think the second reformation is getting the ministry of God into people's hands. It's not for the pastors and the priests to do. It's for the people in the body of Christ to do. Wherever you go, the gospel goes in you. Wherever you go, the gospel goes in you. How are you called not only to serve and, and to live missionally, as we've been talking about for weeks in the lives of people who don't know Jesus, but is there a need in the body of Christ that you can meet with your gifting and with your capability? Maybe God's calling you to minister the word of God rightly. And maybe you need to hear that call and, and respond to it in a way that's incredibly serious, in a way that, that, that causes you to enter into a life of more study and, and, and take steps to learn theology and doctrine and read the Word of God for yourself in a way that's not de just devotional but in a study-type way. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. I think God's calling all of us to do that in some degree. But others of us, God's calling you to serve the body of Christ, how you're gifted. You, you know, there's dudes that, that know how to play music. Isn't that great? It's incredible. And they serve, and they sacrifice time. Incredible, uh, incredible amounts of time. Not just to be incredibly competent in, what, in the instrument that they play or in their ability to sing, but also to come here and to practice and to set up and to tear down and to do sound and to do that kind of thing. And that's a huge need in the body of Christ. Can I tell you that Mike Maisie cannot do that? <laughs> and we're so grateful. <laughs> There's incredible need as we approach this holiday season for people to be ministered to in other ways. And you could think of them, any number of ways. In the body of Christ, in our own church, and, and outside of the church. Have you sat and thought through where God's calling you to step in? Have you sat and thought through where you might be used? I've gone way away from my notes. That's why it's such a huge deal. I want you to listen to this from John Stott. 
I think that's the quote I gave you, Nate. That's the one I'm going to use. I had a few, and I'm not, I wasn't sure. John Stott said, We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. I think this is a great quote showing us how significant and how powerful the Word of God is in our life. We have to let it confront us. We've got to let it overthrow us. We've got to let it, we've got to let it do something in us that causes change, to disturb our security. And the way that the Word of God does that is when someone communicates, us, communicates it to us in a way that's right. The way the Word of God does that is when we learn ourselves how to get into it and how to glean from it. We need to allow the Word of God to do that in our lives. Think about how the gospel of Jesus Christ was doing that in the book of Acts. I mean, think about that little passage we just read in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. The Jesus you crucified. This man stands healed before you. Not because of me, Peter said, but because of the Jesus you crucified, who has the capability now to save you. I mean, the gospel was so powerfully communicated in that moment. The gospel has been so powerfully communicated throughout the ages. I began to think through in my preparation for this how significant the gospel has been, how significant the life of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ has been. It is the center point of human history. The world has been absolutely transformed. Western civilization really ultimately created in the way that it is today. I remember as a law student sitting in Boston. I had already been a pastor for years and was currently youth pastoring at the time I was in law school. And I was sitting in my constitutional law class. And I had this incredible professor, Elizabeth Spawn. She was one of the first females. She was of the class of the first females to graduate from Yale Law School. Brilliant woman, completely godless, and had a disdain for God and for Christianity. And she taught constitutional law actually in a very passionate, remarkable way and in a way I'll never forget. But in the midst of that, her hate or her disdain for the gospel and for Christianity continued to come out and she would spend many class hours talking about how awful religion is and how it's ruined the world and started all these wars and, and, uh, you know, and how it's, it's been just this terrible thing that's continually just caused chaos and war and destruction throughout the world. And, and she continued to spew this through the constitutional law class and, and she spent a couple of days in particular on it where it became kind of the heart of the class for a couple of days. And I, and I, I remember just feeling... I don't know if any of you have been in a college today. That's pretty much what you're getting. So I remember just kind of feeling like, what the heck, you know? And, and I, I went home, and I went, on, I went online, and I said, I'm just going to look at the significance of the gospel and the Jesus, the, the significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church's impact in Boston. Just Boston. Forget about the rest of the world throughout history. Let's just look at Boston, the creation of Harvard. <laughs> The, the hospital. I, I just I, I began to list all the things that were in existence because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Boston throughout history. And I walked into the next class with that list. And she began to spew how Christianity in particular and religion has destroyed 
so much. And I just said, Mrs. Bond, I, I, can I take a minute? She's like, yeah, Mr. Kelly, go ahead. I said, let me tell you what would not be here if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church. And I started listing all the hospitals, all the universities, all the programs for prisons, all the programs for ch- all the charities. I mean, I listed probably about 25 things before she said, hold on, hold on. And she actually took a step back and, and scratched her head. And she's like, I guess I never thought of it that way. <laughs> she didn't know what to say. And, and it gave me an opportunity to begin to think through, holy cow, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the spreading of the word of God has had such an amazing impact in the lives of people and in our communities. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? How many of you guys think that the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to continue to spread in Liverpool in such a way that lives are transformed, that marriages change, that the way people love and raise their kids is different, and ultimately so their lives aren't bent for destruction, but are bent towards an ability and, and, and salvation so that when they stand for, before God someday, he doesn't see their sin and their mistakes, he sees Jesus and his forgiveness, and his redemption. That's ultimately what we need to see happen in the lives of people. As I watched that video today, I I just began to think about that. How imperative it is for the word of God to continue to spread. What are the obstacles for that to happen right now? What are the obstacles in our church for that to happen? What are the obstacles that, the obstacles these guys face, the complaints about the widows? They needed to take care of it. So they found these men to deal with it in an effective way. What are the obstacles for us? We need to think through that because ultimately what this passage is about is that the word of God needs to spread. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to spread. We need to hold it in such a value that we need to find any way possible for it to continue to be proclaimed rightly so that it can spread and people can hear it and lives can be changed. And we need to think through that, amen? Amen. The ministry of the word of God requires time and effort. The ministry of the word of God requires time and effort. I'm going to read, and I I referenced it, and I'm going to close in just a second. I'm going to read Romans 12.1 because it just rings in my mind as I think about this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I see this idea in Romans 12, 1, in this transformation, in this renewing of the mind, and I'm so passionate about that happening in the lives of people and in my life that we need to take the time necessary so that the word of God in the ministry of the word happens effectively in our church amen that's really all this passage is about the word of God in in prayer go hand in hand the ability to communicate the word of God rightly as the apostles communicated in this passage takes prayer it takes being in prayer it takes time to get into it and to study and to discern and we need to release elders to do that and we need to step up and we need to move into a place where we serve the body of christ and fulfill what god's called us to do in relationship to our gifting in this body amen
Who are these men? Who are these men that step up? That are faithful to do what God's called them to do. Two of them we recognize in this passage because we see them later on, Stephen and Philip, right? Stephen, unbelievable man, and I'm not going to take away from Mike because he gave me this passage so that he could have the next one <laughs> and talk about Stephen. And you see Philip later on. The rest of the dudes we don't see later on. But, but who are these men as it's described in this passage? Men that have a good reputation. People look around and they say, you know what, I can't, I can't think of anything that I can say bad about this guy. He's just got a good reputation. He is known in the body of Christ to be a man who is a good man or woman. Someone filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit of God, living their life controlled by the Spirit of God, listening and attuned to the Spirit of God in their life. And someone with wisdom. This is an interesting one. Because the Word of God talks a lot about wisdom. And, and I think it's, it's, it's an important attribute in someone who serves in the body of Christ. And, and I think it's significant because the Bible says all you have to do is ask for it and God gives it freely. But as you look around, there's a lot of people who don't have it. And wisdom and knowledge are different. Knowledge, I, I know this guy. He's brilliant. He's a mess. Like the dude, theologically, is brilliant. He could tell, talk about any theological issue and any doctrinal issue that you could ever imagine. He has thought it through. He's read everybody on it. He can, he can resuscitate it. He can tell you positions and why he has them and why you have your position and why you're wrong about why you have your position. He's brilliant. He's, incre- he's, a, he's actually not only an incredible theologian, he's a microbiologist and he's a neurodoc. He's a doctor who does brain stuff and spinal cord injury. He's a brilliant guy. And his life is an absolute disaster. His house should be condemned. He's about 400 pounds. Relationally, he's falling apart. And, and this, is a, this is a man I know and I love. And, and, and when I, I spoke with him not too long ago, and, he was, and, and we were having lunch together, and he was talking to me about theological issues and, and one-upping me on everything because he knew he was smarter than me and he was going to go at me. And I said, you know what? You have an incredible amount of knowledge and no idea how to use any of it. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom's not just having knowledge, it's knowing how to use it. It's knowing how to effectively put it into practice and into work. And God says, just ask me for it. I'm going to show you how to use it. Get into the word of God and know me. And then I'm going to give you wisdom and ability to use it in your life. An ability to treat somebody in a particular way that it's effective. An ability to live in your marriage so that it's effective. An ability to raise your kids so that it's effective. It's going to be based on the knowledge from the word of God as he's revealed himself in his word, as you soak in it and as you learn it. And then he's going to give you wisdom and ability to live it out and use it and live effectively. God wants to give us wisdom and he uses men of wisdom effectively in his body. And that's who these men were. Amen? Good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. That's who we're looking for. That's who we want to be. Let's do this. Let's pray that the word of God would spread in Liverpool, New York. 
like it never has before. Here's what I know about the Word of God that I've seen over and over and over and over again, and my mind has been absolutely blown every time. It is effective. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's lives. Absolutely. As a youth pastor, I stopped living this, I gotta make every kid do this and do that and live this way. And I remember the day when I just, I'm gonna start preaching the gospel. And I watched God do stuff in people's lives that I could never pull off or make them do. God just does it in the lives of people because his word's effective as it spreads. So let's pray that the word of God spreads like never before in Liverpool, New York, and in these northern suburbs. And let's pray that he would speak to each of one of us as to how we can step up, use our gifting, and serve the body of Christ effectively as well so that the word of God can continue to spread. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we just, we thank you again for who you are. We certainly thank you for those, the importance of those who need to be served, like in this passage, the widows who needed to be served. We thank you that you've put people in our midst to show us that we need to be selfless, that we need to give of ourselves. And we thank you that we can't outgive you because as we live that type of life, you add value to us in such a way that We recognize that's how life is supposed to be lived anyway. Thank you that you enable us to find joy, real joy that goes beyond our ability to understand as we live our lives serving others. In their day, widows were prevalent. What is it for us, God? Speak to us whether it be those widows in our midst or others, God. Help us to see where we can step up, where we can live our lives for others and find the joy in the life that you've promised us as we serve, as you spend our lives building your kingdom. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for men that you've called to communicate it. God, we pray for Mike. We pray for Tim. We pray for Jordan and Bernie, and we pray for those who you've called to continue to preach your word. I pray that you would help us to take the study of your word more seriously than we ever have. We pray that you would challenge us to pray and to read and to dive into your presence in such a way that we can continue to communicate your gospel. I pray for every single person sitting in this room that you would give them the words to speak as they communicate your word to others, God. I pray that each of us would grow in the knowledge of your word, that we would hold it in high esteem, that we would value it to such a degree because we recognize that as you've revealed yourself in your word, you can change us. You can help us to understand who you are and how we should live and what your gospel really is, what it really means that you've saved us, that you've died for us, 
that the Jesus that was crucified has risen and ascended and paid the price for our sin, God. We thank you for who you are, how you use us. Let this church be a church that proclaims your word and is a part of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ all across this area. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.